0: This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most. Faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions. The rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is the incredible Susie Larson. She is a best selling author, national speaker, and host of the popular radio show Susie Larson Live. Whether behind a desk or behind a mic, Susie lives out her passion to see people everywhere awakened to the depth. Of God's love, the value of their soul, and the height of their calling in Christ Jesus. She is a two-time finalist for the prestigious John C. Maxwell Transformational Leadership Award. She's the author of over 20 books and devotionals, and her daily blessings reach over half a million people each week on social media. Her radio show is heard daily on the Faith Radio Network, as well as around the world through her podcast, which has more than 7 million downloads. She is a podcast Popular media guest and guest host. She's appeared on shows like Focus on the Family, Life Today, and Family Life Today. And her newest book is called Waking Up to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness. And that is what we're talking about today is waking up to the goodness of God. And what does it look like to intentionally wake up to the goodness of God? I'm telling you, I say this in the interview, but this is a message that so many of us need right now. There are so many, many of us that are struggling to hold on to hope, to find hope, to to make space for hope. And that is what this episode is about today, is to wake up to the goodness of God and to know that each and every day that God is good, his promises are true, and they never end. And I am telling you, you're gonna be blessed by this conversation. You are gonna be inspired by Susie. She is just, she's a pro in this industry, but more importantly, she is just a woman of God who is wise and brilliant, and you're gonna love it. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Susie Larson. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. What an honor to meet you, Molly. Thanks for having me. Well, I am... Really excited about this because I've had a chance to um, I've listened to some of your interviews over the years and uh, you've actually had friends of mine on your radio show so that's always cool uh, to get to kind of meet somebody that I feel like a kindred connection to um, love that but most importantly I am really excited to dive into the topic of your newest book Waking Up to the Goodness of God I am this is a topic that uh, oh man so good especially uh, as in my chronological Bible reading plan that uh, I do, we just wrapped up Job, you know, and when you're just, when you're, when you're getting out of Job and you're just like, I could use some goodness of God at this very
1: yes. 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 When you're reading Job overlapped with winter, that's a hard combination it at really, times.
0: It really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, let's dive right in and have you give us the Susie one one So tell us who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So, been married
1: 38 years, almost 39 years. Congratulations. Grown sons. Thank you. And I love him more today than I Mm. did yesterday. Um, I'm amazed at the goodness of God, really, in our marriage. And um, no marriage comes without contending for it. No good marriage comes without contending. So, we've definitely had our hard times in years past, but um, keeping a vision that's bigger than we are before us helped us so much. And you know, if you're walking through one of those times, press in and press on because the treasure on the other side is so much Mm -hmm. greater with the one you're with than trying to find another option, unless you're in an abusive situation. But if you're just in a hard situation, you feel like you've fallen out of love. I just feel like I got to say, contend (sighs) and fight for it because it's worth it. That was for
0: somebody today. I don't know who it was, but it was for somebody.
1: Yeah, definitely. We have three grown sons all in their 30s. We we got pregnant on our honeymoon. We were going (laughs) to wait five years to have babies. And had we waited five years, we would have no children because we got married in our young 20s and getting pregnant on our honeymoon. um, I had a lot of abdominal pain and we found out I had endometriosis. So doctors said, if you wouldn't have had this pregnancy, you will have a hysterectomy in your 20s. So if you would have waited, as long as you say, you know, five years, you would have no children. So if you want more, you got to have them right away because then we need to operate. And remove your uterus at 20, wow. 29 years old had my ovaries and uterus removed. So that was pretty significant. But anyway, yeah. so our boys are all in their thirties, all married. Our youngest son has three children, our, our grandchildren, mm. our oldest son, we thought would have five children by now, but he and his wife have battled infertility. That's mm. been excruciatingly painful. They're just so gracious and humble and heartbroken. And, yeah. uh, what we are, we have reason to believe that there may be our miracles up ahead. So mm. we're, we're still hopeful. But they're just good men. They're their father's sons. They're good, good men, and they love their wives well and uh, love those girls as well, love our little babies as well. So I'm a full-time talk radio host. What's so interesting is I started as an author slash speaker. I released my first book in year 2000. It was a self-published book. And at that time, I was speaking at retreats and things. And um, so that's what I was doing. And then I, I got published you know, with Focus on the Family, did some article work for them for about seven years. And in between that time... I was speaking at a writer's conference and an editor from a publisher was in the audience and came up and said, Hey, would you send me a book proposal? Well, we, most people who are in writing now would know what that is, but I didn't because this was, you know, a long time ago. And I'm like, sure. I'll get you a proposal. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I literally had to go to the library proposal and, and figure it out and learn and wrote my book proposal. And that was my first book. And so this book we're talking about today, I think is number 22 for me. So wow. that's amazing to me that God would allow that. And I'll give you a little backstory on what I write about, but as a writer speaker, the number of years into that, the uh, Lord opened the door to guest hosts on a local radio show. And I, I'm an introvert. And my heart just came alive. Um, And I guess hosted, whenever they needed a backup host, I stepped in. Every time I did it, I felt so much life on it that Mm -hmm. I just started to be bold and just say, Lord, if this is from you, grow it in me and grant me my own show. But if it's not, remove this desire. If it's a self-serving desire, remove it from me because I want to be about your business. And when the door opened to host my own show, a number of people, another fellow author, friends and editors said, you will kill your writing career if you start hosting and interviewing other authors because you're on the wrong side of the mic. And I'm like, I don't think there's a wrong side of the mic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is really kind of, this was many years ago though. I think it's how long have I been at it for 16 years, I think. So back then it was sort of like pick your lane and go with it. But I just heard the voice of the Lord and the peace of God just guarded and guided me. So I just said, well, if that is the case, then so be it because wisdom's path is peace and the peace of God is leading me in this direction, but hosting a daily talk show. And for a number of years, it was two hours a day, Mm -hmm. uh, which means I was going through about 10 books a week, uh, which is a lot. Sorry, my printer just turned on all by itself. (laughs) I hope you... I don't know... I'm not printing anything, so this uh, has been this a is
0: like, winter for you. We blame actually, everything. I love it uh, because yeah. I was just having a rant with my husband the other day about just how off, uh, you know, it's 2024. We have amazing technology. We're sending people yeah. into outer space and we're 3D printing. We can't even get real regular printers to just work and print exactly when you ask them to. right. <laughs> yeah. They don't print when you want them to. And I... I really
1: don't want it to be printing anything right now. So. It's okay. It's all right. Anyway, it's all good. We, we all just that roll to with say, it. you know, because as an author, since I was an author first before I was a radio host, yep. when I would interview authors, I knew what it took to write those books. So there was, right. And I would tell you, Molly, and I'm sure most authors would tell you, 80% of the time when I would be interviewed on a book the host never even cracked the book open. Mm -hmm. They didn't even know what it was about. Mm -hmm. And so when I became a host, I just made a promise to myself and to my guests, I'm going to know your content. So think about that. Well, when you're doing two hours a day, that's 10 books a week. I was reading 70% of 10 books a week. So it was a lot. Yeah. That was too much for me. I'm on one hour a day and that's awesome. But all that to say, if you want to become a better writer, start to read. And I, it, it was like, I was ready to put the writing part on the altar. But the Lord just multiplied my offering because I just became a more efficient communicator because of the economy of words needed in live radio and because of books, um, reading so many books. But the backstory, that's what I do. But the backstory of who I am started as a child, grown up in a a large family, wonderful family, but in a denomination where the gospel wasn't preached. I knew God Mm. was real, but I didn't know Jesus was accessible and, um, so big family. Uh, when I was about nine years old, I suffered a sexual assault at the hands mm-hmm. of some of my brother's friends. And um, and my dad was the mayor at the time. And so mm-hmm. I I didn't know if I brought this on myself. I was so confused about what had happened, but it opened a canyon of fear and insecurity, self-contempt, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so I kind of carried that secret. And I truly like I didn't sleep through the night at night. I was, I was scared. Um, I just wasn't the same person after. And when I was 10 years old, I was walking home from school and a different group of boys were hanging out in the dugout. And I hear in my peripheral, get her. And they ran out of the dugout. They ran me down, knocked me to the ground and pummeled me, beat me to a pulp Mm. and kind of did it as sport. They laughed as they kicked me in the stomach, punched me in the face, pulled fistfuls of hair. And I'm just this little four foot girl screaming and crying. And they're just having a heyday beating me up. And I remember like it was yesterday, Molly, where they were done and they pushed off of me and they were walking away laughing going, can you believe we just did that? And I had a fat lip and scratches on my face and snarled hair. And I got up from that beating so traumatized and I heard in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And that began, I mean, I would say that's when the spirit of fear really, really took up some real estate in my life. And in my radio show, my writing and my speaking, I've always been very honest about a battle with fear. And when you jump ahead to my young years of being married, our second pregnancy, I was put on bed rest for three months because of a high risk pregnancy. Our third pregnancy, I was in bed for six months with a one and a three-year-old. And, it, you know, I got saved in about eighth grade. It was just the most amazing story. I don't really have time to tell it today, but the mm. way that God wooed me to himself was so precious. Nobody led me to him. He just wooed mm. me. And I felt his presence and his nearness and felt compelled to start reading the scriptures and fell in love with Jesus. And But what I would say as I entered into my young adulthood, I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And I would submit to you that all these years later, following Jesus and interviewing so many people traveling the country, speaking at conferences, I would say a large share of Christians might have right theology around salvation. They know they're saved. They don't know they're loved. And that makes a very big difference. And so w- during our third pregnancy, six months on bed rest, calling in all the favors of people with meals. And it, you know, six months with a one and a three year old, we were going broke, confronted every insecurity, every sense of I'm a debt to society, all of it. It was just, and those scriptures were dead on the page. And so it just felt like God lost my address. You know, I was still fairly new and young and, and mature in the faith that I didn't understand that God was up to something at that point. Six months uh, into the pregnancy, so three months into bed rest, my doctors let me get up and test the waters because I was pretty depressed and um, hadn't contracted for a couple of days. And they said, you know, you need to see the sunshine. And so I met my old college roommates. It was a fall day. We had lunch, went for a walk. That proved to be too much. So by nighttime, I was back on bed rest contracting. And two weeks from that outing, my face started to go numb and I still had three months of pregnancy left. I got a numbing, Mm. pulsating, buzzing feeling in the back of my neck and kind of came around and started buzzing my face. And long story short, I was unknowingly bit by the deer tick and contracted Lyme disease. Oh my goodness. Um, Yeah. And took a year to find out. And it's been three decades of an up and down turnaround battle. And uh, Mm. so there was a point in the low places of that battle where that lie registered in my ear again. I can get to you anytime, anywhere. and God will never stop me. So you jump ahead. So I was probably really sick for about six, seven years and I became a fitness instructor. I was one before I got sick and I'm a fighter and I love health fitness. I have a brain for that. And so I just had to fight back. So for about 20 years, I managed a chronic illness. You know, I, I taught aerobic classes. A few times a year, I couldn't get out of bed for a few days because everything would go numb and I would be all inflamed. But then I get back up and come up swinging again, going, this thing is not going to define me. But it was always aware of it. And I never felt great, but I felt well enough to go after life. And then about eight, nine years ago, I suffered a massive health relapse. And this is really this book was born out of that, yeah. as well as a couple of others. But the the symptoms were so scary and so bad that they were not only Lyme, but people with chronic Lyme have a susceptibility to mold, uh, like we have an inability to process mold. And I'd had unknowing repeated exposures to black mold Mm. that affected my brain. And as a talk radio host, you need your brain. And I was mixing up words. I was forgetting Mm. how to spell basic words. My tongue was going numb and there was so much more to it. But all that to say in that place of just being blindsided and walking pacing the floor through the middle of the night begging god kill me or heal me because i can't mm. keep doing this i had a friend who addressed to me she lovingly but said you are you've developed a posture of bracing for impact and it was so loving and i don't know if you've ever had that where someone's confronted you in so much love that the spirit of god just accompanies their words yeah and that is what happened with me um I was thinking before she said that that this was just a natural reaction to an unpredictable disease. You know, it's a consequence of living with this. You don't know when your face is going to go numb or inflammation is going to strike. Right. But the quickening told me that there's something more. And so as I spent time with the Lord, He showed me that I was disappointed and I was hurt. And even though I was showing up every day for my quiet time, serving Him with so much gratitude deep inside, I was hurt by Him. And I, I actually didn't really trust Him as much as I thought. And so once that realization surfaced for me, I started to apply myself because she said, unless when you think about God, if you think anything other than only goodness or mercy are allowed to follow me all the days of my Mm -hmm. life, if you think anything else than that, something in you needs healing and something in you is out of alignment. And so I started to literally actively apply myself to changing my default perspective. And I would say, Molly, this happened before COVID. And the whole world's bracing for impact, right? Right. Everybody's waiting for the next shoe to drop. And what as a former fitness person and someone who's battled health for three decades, and I've got brilliant doctors. So I, the joke is I'm not a doctor, but I play one on radio. <laughs> yeah. I do know, I do know quite a bit about yeah. health and physiology and brain science and how those things work because I've needed to fight. I've needed to be educate myself so I can fight back. Right. And I will tell you, it's terrible for your soul and for your cells to be living with elbows locked, to be waiting for the next shoe to drop. It's bad for you. So the whole point of this book is to be a healing balm, to take 40 days and apply yourself every day to the goodness of God. I tried to take your chin, tilt it up a little bit to go, no, there's really a case to be made for his goodness. And I want to tell you, as I applied myself to these things, so as I looked around at all the blessings that he's brought into my life, something in me started to heal. And I sit here today more healed than I've ever been in Mm. the over three decade battle that I've had with this disease. I'm more healed than I've ever been. I've got a few residual things left. They're on their way out, but um, I'm marveling. But I will say something about knowing God's goodness and imprinting it on your heart is essential, I think, to live a whole healed free life.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, there's so much of what you said that I just wanted to like stand up and give a standing ovation and say amen, preach um, the whole time, because that is, I think, on a personal level, just for me uh, and, and what I have a passion for and what I feel like. God has written into my life as well is that pain into purpose path. And I actually I love one of the things you write actually I believe in the introduction of your book about how, you know, even on the difficult days you said I I trust more in God's ability to bring gladness than the enemy's intent to bring sadness. God doesn't write the pain into our stories but he will most certainly redeem it for his glory. And I remember um you know cuz I didn't I didn't grow up a Christian um, I didn't become a Christian until I was 25. And, but a few years, I, I was, uh, I believe, let's see what year it was I was, it was 2018. So it was, you know, 32, 33. Um, and I experienced one of the most difficult years uh, of my life when uh, my husband and I, we lost uh, a pregnancy, um, our son Elijah, um, in the second trimester in January of 2018. And then we got pregnant right away. On accident, and that, um, and we ended up losing a second son, uh, mm. Malachi, in June of that year in the second wow. trimester. And so, in wow. a six month period, I go through these two late pregnancy losses. Um, you know, and I'd always had this dream and this vision that I was going to have five, six kids. Like, I always wanted a lot of kids. And we, you know, Lord blessed us with two uh, incredible and, and healthy kids uh, prior to those losses. But I remember very specifically after we had lost our first son, Elijah. I went into this period uh, of just really struggling with anger. Um, And then it actually began to manifest itself in the form of crippling anxiety and crippling anxiety in the, and I love the way you said, just bracing for impact. Because I got into this mode of like everything, God's taking it all away. And I would quite literally, when my husband would leave for work, I would have this narrative in my head where I was convinced he was going to die when he left our house. Mm. And it was like, and then our two healthy children, like I would walk into their rooms to check, to see if they were breathing every hour because I was convinced that something was going to happen to them. I was convinced that all these things were going to happen. And I was just bracing myself for the next shoe to drop. And then I, I obviously I went into counseling, um, <laughs> you know, full disclosure. Um, and I, I, share all this to say that then when we got pregnant again, which was not planned, I was terrified. And because I was in that moment of bracing for impact, I held that pregnancy at an arm's distance, because I wasn't ready to say like, oh, yes, this is happening again. Uh, I, I'm, you know, everything's going to be fine. And the whole time I was going in for all these checkups and my midwife was like, everything looks great. You look great. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, fast forward, spoiler alert. I lose that pregnancy. And wow. so for a lot of, you know, in, in some ways, there was a moment where the shoe did drop and I was bracing for impact because another terrible thing happened. The unimaginable happened. However, God's kindness to me in that moment, I truly, and I I can only say this with the benefit of hindsight, is that in that moment, I had a, that still small voice of the Lord that where he said, I mean, I just kind of felt like he was saying, you have two choices right now. You can, in this moment, you can blame me, you can curse me, you can walk away from me, you can, you know, point fingers, whatever you want to do, or you can trust me. You can rest in my goodness. You can uh, know that I weep with you. Um, You know, all these things like you can run towards me. So what are you going to do? And I chose the latter. And because of that, now on the other side, you know, five, six years later, I have the benefit of, of saying that that season woke me up to the goodness of God. that mm. season is what helped me to grow more in my walk with Christ than anything I could have you know anything then truly then, then seminary then like you know what I mean spending seven days a week in church I mean truly like that was the the catalyst that woke me up to to a new um, and an everlasting relationship with my heavenly Father because I now know no matter what comes my way, he is good. And he is who he sure. says he is. And he is you know, the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And and his promises are never ending. They are always true. He always fulfills them. And um, and so anyway, so that's why I just I shared that because I just as you were you were sharing your heart behind this book, it's just like, yes, that that was my story, too. And I think brings so much hope to people because I, you know, I know you hear from listeners on your show and um, I hear from listeners of, of this podcast all the time that people are just facing such challenge. I mean, we always have as when we live in a broken world, but people are facing such difficult things and it can be so hard when you are in the midst of that pain and that suffering to say, God, I trust you. God, I know you're good. And so I, and you don't default
1: yeah. to that position, the Molly. Right. That's the thing right. is that you really there needs to be literally a practice of imprinting His loving yes. kindness on your heart, because. Yes. Uh, The enemy is constantly building a case against you and against God, and he wants you to take the bait mm -hmm. and accuse God of things the devil's guilty of. And so whether maybe you're in between crises and in between Mm -hmm. storms, this is the perfect time to be looking around and noticing the goodness of God all around you. So when the enemy comes in to bring the accusation, you know, God, you're tethered to a good God and you know it. Um, And again, this, you know, waking up to the goodness of God and anticipating his goodness doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen. Obviously, you read scripture. Right. There's lots of uh, a promise that we will see trouble, but what he allows, he redeems. But we do such a disservice to him and to our soul and ourselves when we project our fears into a future that we imagine God is not in. Mm -hmm. And there's no such scenario that exists for the life of the believer. He's gone ahead Mm -hmm. and he's got grace in every space waiting for us, new mercies, compassions that never fail. And again, what He allows, He redeems. And I will tell you, my sister noticed that she was one of my early readers for this book. Mm -hmm. So while I was writing it, I was sending in chapters to just a small group of people to just get some feedback. And one of the things I wrote in here that made her cry, um, she said, this is the first time I've ever heard you say this. But what I'd said is, you know, it's been a long battle, but I don't feel like I've lost anything. I finally... Finally, at this point, even daily, still have some neurological symptoms, but I don't feel like I, I I used to feel so much time was lost. The enemy stole so much from me. I don't feel like that anymore. I feel like I've gained so much. I have a firmer grasp on God's word. I have a deeper understanding of who he is. I'm wiser to the enemy's schemes. This stuff has not been wasted on Mm -hmm. me. And anybody who does does what you chose, chooses what you chose, because there's always a fork in the road at every crisis. Will you curse God? Or will you bless God and run into his arms? They are the ones who come out as forces to be reckoned with. And so what he allows, you got to tell yourself he does redeem.
0: That's right. That's right. One of the days that I love so much in your book, and I feel like this speaks exactly to what we were just talking about, is day 20, where you talk about making space for hope. And I was just having a conversation with a girlfriend recently where she was talking about how one of her family members has just had you know, a year kind of like what mine was in 2018, but, you know, and whether, and and her, her particular family member doesn't know the Lord she does. And, and so, you know, they've both had kind of difficult years and she was talking about how she's been really struggling to hold on to hope and to, and to, in some ways kind of that, that making space for hope. And I just, I, I love that. And I had never really thought about that as a, as an idea or a a practice of making space for hope because you know you you hear that phrase of like oh we'll have hope like you know you know focus on hope and but what does it look like to make space for hope in our hmm. in our lives and in our spiritual walks um because that takes a little bit more intentionality than just having hope oh exactly well first of all Dr. Warren Beersby one of my faith
1: heroes who by the way came out of retirement three times to talk to me on my show <laughs> if you i love him so much if you want a devotional commentary a literally a, a bible commentary mm. that reads like a devotional get his old testament new testament they're phenomenal mm. but he talks about hope the hope of scripture is not a hope so hope it is a no so hope you know, we are, we are anchored upward and forward. Yeah. And we have this hope as an anchor for our souls leading past the the curtain to the inner throne room of almighty God. So we are tethered to an yeah. unshakable hope. We've got reason for hope. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember if it was in this day's reading that you're referring to or for another one, but um, I remember quoting scripture back to God when I was whining one day, because I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm like, my, my heart is sick because my yeah. hope is deferred. You know, yeah. hope deferred makes the heart sick a promise fulfilled as a tree of life and i heard so clearly my spirit look it up like he loves me but okay sassy girl look it up and hope deferred deferred is a verb in that verse it's an action word it means when you postpone hope your heart will become sick you can't afford to live without hope and we and the enemy again is constantly constantly building a case against god so that hope feels too expensive I don't want to be disappointed. Mm. But, you know, our hope does not disappoint when our hope is in the Lord. Even when we're give, grieving losses, we don't grieve as those with no hope. Okay. And, you know, I was just the other day, I was reading in uh, Genesis 25 about Esau giving up his birthright. And I've written on this and spoken on it before, but I saw something fresh in there mm. yesterday where he came back from hunting. I'm I'm hungry. Give me that stew you're making, Jacob. But Jacob's like, give me your birthright. And he's like, I'm starving to death. Like, what good is my birth Right, And he overstated his immediate problem, which kept him from seeing the long-term blessing God had for him. Mm -hmm. He sacrificed his birthright, which would have been a gift that kept giving for it to feed an immediate need. And I don't know about you, Molly, but I've plenty of times overstated my pain, my hardship. I've overstated it in a way that has blinded my spiritual eyes to the long-term vision. So I would say making space for hope, For one thing is to remember that your hope isn't in an outcome, it's in God. And so often when we choose the bullseye, like I'll believe in you, God, if you do this, if you bring my prodigal home on Valentine's Day weekend, or if you reconcile my marriage by this vacation, and he's not bound by our dictates or our dates, he's just not. But if he says no or not yet, it's because his answer is far more glorious than you can imagine. That his story that he's writing with your life is far more epic than you know. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. His ways are higher. His thoughts are deeper. And we've got to really, really know him for who he is and not for who he seems to be at that moment. And that's how you make space for hope, is you spend some time getting to know the God of all hope so that you realize, I don't know how, I don't know when, but you're gonna break through. I don't know why you allow this, but what I do know is what you allow, you redeem. And I think it's important maybe to find people who are older than you, who still have the fire of God on their lives and a passion in their hearts, and talk to them about their story so that you know you're not alone. You're going to make it through and you're going to find out that God's more faithful than you gave him credit for.
0: Oh, so, so good. Well, I think that also leads to another question that I wanted to ask you. And that is about the, you know, in each day throughout this devotional, one one of the things that I love that you do is you, you call it a brain retrain. Um, and you know, some people, uh, might call it, you know, an affirmation or a, a declaration. And it's something that I, I love the, the, the phrase brain retrain. Um, because it's something I talk a lot about with my children. And, you know, so my, my kids are 10 and uh, almost eight. And, um, a couple of years ago, I started doing something with them in the morning and I didn't call it affirmations. Um, cause I didn't want to call it that, but it was just things that I had them say out loud that I would speak over them and then they would repeat. So it would be things like, I'm kind, I'm a hard worker, God loves me, God knows my name, God goes before me, Um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so it was like just repeating the truths of God and the truths of scripture out loud together and then i would say at the end you know i'm going to have a great day and my kids would say i'm going to have a great day and um good mama what a good mama you are <laughs> and of course at first my husband was like this is so cheesy but it's the kind of thing that you know my kids now like they they know it they know those things by heart and they could say it without me having to prompt them um and and one night this was probably a year or two ago my my son said mom why do you have us do that and i said well the reality is is you're away from mommy and daddy for you know 7 to 8 hours a day by the time you know you get on the bus in the morning and you get off and you're at school and you're with friends and i when i was a kid I was, you know, bullied mercilessly. Mm -hmm. I had teachers say things to me um, that I was, uh, you know, not smart. I wasn't a good tester. You know, these things that, that I have carried legitimately into adulthood and have had to retrain my brain to, um, to rewire my brain. I mean, I could, I love my, my listeners that have been around a while are like, Oh no, she's not talking about neural pathways, is she? Cause I love talking about the brain and, and, and the neural pathways, you know, that we, we create in our brain when we repeat a narrative, whether it's true or not over and over again in our brain and the enemy. And I love how you talk about this too, about how the enemy feeds our inner critic and the enemy just loves to create this, this pathway. Of lies in our brain, and so I was telling my kids about. You know, I don't know what what things the enemy is planting in your brain during the day. I don't know. I don't know what things kids are saying to you at school. I don't know if you know somebody says something to you that is unkind, and and I want you to be grounded and rooted in the foundation of the gospel and the truth that Jesus has in your life, and not this other nonsense, you know, you know. sure. There could be things that you hear at school that are true, but I want them to be able to decipher between the truth of God and the lies of the enemy. And, um, and so I love that you do this too, because it's something that uh, as a parent, I'm wired in many ways to, to tell that to my children, but I forget to do it for myself. And I forget that I also battle the inner critic. I battle the lies of the enemy in my head. And I also have to retrain my own brain. So anyway, I, I set all that up to say, how did you begin to think about that? And, and what was your motivation for including that so intentionally throughout this devotional? Hmm.
1: Well, in the early, the first phase of Lyme, it wiped out my short-term memory. And Mm. so I knew, uh, and I was in my young 20s, early 30s. That's very hard to take when you're, I mean, I I went from having such passion and vision for my future to praying I'd get, you know, grow old enough to see my kids grow up. And uh, so I just knew the word of God is living and active. So I started to memorize his word. And Mm. I remember right in the middle of the worst part of that Battle. A doctor said you should get in a support group for Lyme patients, and I have just told my hubby on the in the car, "I'm like, that's the last thing I need." I because nobody they didn't know a lot about that disease back then. It was very and it's right. so unpredictable, and that one of the bacteria is they call the great deceiver because it acts like other MS and other kinds Ooh. of diseases. It's just terrifying, and it makes you feel like a hypochondriac because one day you've got a pain over here, and the next day you're you know it's just crazy. Yeah, and especially back then they didn't know much about it. And I told Kev, I do not need to be in a group where everybody's spouting their fears. I'm going to go get certified Mm. and get my national certification to teach aerobic classes. And I literally could only take a shower once a week. I had no strength. And he's like, Mm. oh, okay. And and I was testing with ACE, the American Council on Exercise. The book was... It was so, you can't even believe it. So I would study when the kids would nap and then he'd come home from work and say, okay, go study. And Mm. I'd come out crying going, I dated and highlighted my notes from yesterday. I have zero memory of reading these. And he could just go back and do it again. So I kept at it, kept at it. And I had to work. 10 times harder than the average person to get that into my brain. And I think I passed to something like a 97%, which is just, nobody knows what a miracle that was except my husband, God, and and me. Uh, but that's back then. I just yeah. I knew there was something. I w- I didn't know neuroplasticity, but I knew my brain was cooperating with yeah. the most persistent messages I was sending it. We'll jump ahead to this relapse. They did an MRI and the results were horrific. What was mm-hmm. happening? I had seven markers in my brain of atrophy or inflammation. And the atrophies, brain damage where mold had atrophied my brain, certain parts of my brain, and then two Lyme markers. And they said, this is not good. And mm. I just went after it. And I started to have brain scientists on my show. I started to study it, read it, learn it. I took an online course about limbic rewiring. And I just thought, I got stuff to do. Until God mm. allows me to take my last breath, I got stuff to do. So I jumped in, you know, head first about eight, nine years ago. And uh, and that's why. And I just I it's amazing to me how even to this day, people who don't know the battle that I have faced will say, you know, you're so quick on your feet or your recall of scripture is amazing. I only say that to say, you have no idea what you're saying to me because Mm -hmm. it means my brain is working and and the spirit of God is alive in me and it just means so much. And I think as you go through, there's a faith declaration and then a brain retrain at the end of each daily reading. And as mm. I say, the readings just take you a few minutes. The goal is to be marinating the rest of the day. Right. And you find one that speaks to you and grab onto that one. You don't have to memorize all of them, but find one that speaks to your situation. You know, for me, uh, one of them was the cross is spoken, the curse is broken, Jesus has set me free. Mm-hmm. That has a ring to it, a rhythm to it. I can I remember it. it and I speak it over my life. And so I just, I know that I know, in my knower, that this is extremely important, and there will be no change life without a renewed mind. There just won't. Nobody can do that for you. That's the thing. We might sit in our yuck and wait for God to rescue us, but it might be our move to start applying the truths of scripture and the truths of his goodness until we believe them the Israelites that first generation in spite of all the miracles they saw never they refused to believe his goodness they refused it was actually coddling their fears more than they clung to the promises of god to the point that put them in outright rebellion i don't want to be there i, I there's legitimate yeah. reasons for fear in our day but there's even more legitimate reasons for
0: faith because our future is bright in jesus mm. oh so powerful that is so powerful Well, there's something else that I wanted to ask you about as I know that our time is coming to a close, but I wanted to, um, I love how you talk about the intentionality or just that, that this book really highlights the intentionality of, of, uh, doing this for 40 days, but also giving yourself the freedom to, if it takes you longer to go through this than 40 days, that's fine. But, but your intentionality of, of, you know, Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness. And, um, there's a, you know, that number 40 has a lot of significance throughout, uh, scripture and, you know, that it was the, the typical length for a pilgrimage or spiritual journey. Um, and so as you know, I'm curious for you in the process of writing this, because I can tell that this was written from a place of, uh, of experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, so talk about the significance of the number 40 to you and, and, and with this book, but what it was like for you going through this and writing from that place of, of healing, um, I think Mm -hmm. would be fair to say, because I think for some, for, for you to write a book like this, you can only write this from a place of, I've been through this, I've done this, I've done the work, you know, like been there, done there, done that, got the t-shirt kind of thing um, to then be able to, to help minister to others. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, When the
1: relapse first happened, I was in my bathroom getting ready to go to the radio station. And as I said, you know, prior to that for 20 years, three, four times a year, as soon as my face would start to really get numb and the vision would blur, I would, oh, here it comes. And I would Mm. get, blindsided but it, it was more than that my arms went numb the ears started ringing very loud bone crushing like the tmj it was like someone had put a vice on my head and was just turning it so i was in the bathroom my arms were going numb my neck was numb and that the ringing just got so loud and my head felt like it was going to explode and i'm like oh god no oh god no please god no please god no because it, it was so scary and it was yeah. just this fireworks in my body and um and I remember, it felt like the enemy had me by the throat up against the wall because my whole neck was numb. And um, I'm like, please, God, no. And I heard the whisper, the storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. I'm like, what? The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, well, what's the lie? And meanwhile, there's just chaos, like spiritual warfare chaos going on in my bathroom. Yeah. And I hear it in my ear. I can get you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. Oof. And even though I was a seasoned Christian by this time, there was that underlying lie that still felt true to me. And I'm, the Lord thundered in my spirit in the bathroom that day. He said, Susie, you have believed this your whole life. He said, I'm not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. It is not true that he can get to you anytime, anywhere. You don't even know what I've provided or how I what I've prevented in your life. I'm not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. And I realized, Molly, that fear was rearing its head in a way that was paralyzing me because the symptoms were so terrifying. Mm. And there were many times in the night, it felt like I was having a stroke, numbing up my neck into my jaw, my tongue going numb, the room spinning. Um, I felt like I was living with a gun to my head. It mm. was I just didn't think I had the mental bandwidth to keep on. And and there was a point where the Lord showed me, I want you to practice a zero tolerance policy on fear. And I'm like, I have so many legitimate reasons to be terrified right now. But as I learned about the brain, the, the 40 days or so that it takes to rewire a neural pathway, I literally thought every time he pokes me my brain goes to the trauma of this sickness right and so i'm going to just put a road closed sign on fear is tangible and visceral as it feels if i can make it 40 days I'm going to have new neural pathways in my brain. So every time symptoms would surge, I would put worship music on and say, God Mm. is good. His promises are true. He will always make a way for me. God is good. His promises are true. And I just started to fight and contend for the promise of God that he would somehow, some way, come through for me. And I will tell you around 40 days or so later, I wasn't even thinking about anything. Mm. And I'd had a little bit of a break from symptoms and then they came. And my instinctive thought was, because I had nerves that fire together, wire together. As you well know, when you have an experience and then you have an emotional response to that experience, nerves that fire together, wire together. Well, prior to that, I would have an experience and I would have an emotional response, which was fear. Well, I started to pair faith with the experience. So when it came next time, faith was my default posture. And I I just I marvel. I studied. It. It's like if you can picture your brain and you've taught on it enough on your show for your listeners to know, but if you literally put a road close sign yep. on a path, well traveled, your brain will delete those neural pathways yep. because you're not using them anymore. Yep. And so that was like, I mean, it should have been enough that it says, do not fear 365 days, you know, in this or 365 <gasps> days, it should be enough, yep. but I will tell you, it wasn't enough for me. Yeah. I need a physiological explanation of you mean if I do this, it will change this terror that I'm living under? And that was what was motivating to me just because it was so tangible. And then when I got to the other side, I thought, man, your word is living and active and powerful. And I rose up swinging and really rose up interceding for anybody and everybody who's chronically ill, anybody and everybody who's being terrified by a spirit of intimidation, which the enemy, that's what he does. He bullies you and intimidates you. And one of my guests I have on regularly named Jamie Winship.
0: Yes, I've had Jamie on the show. He's amazing. Isn't he? You know, he
1: says, what would your life look like if you weren't afraid of anything? And he says that fear, if you picture it as a wall on the other side, is, I'm paraphrasing, but an expansion of your ministry. Yes. Whatever the enemy's throwing up here, he is so terrified that you're going to get past your terror because there's a calling for you on the other side. But we go into self-preservation. We pull back. But if you could look at that fear wall as something to overcome because there's territory that's yours with your name on it on the other side, you'd blaze right through that thing because God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power, love and sound mind. Now, one last thing about the 40 days, you know, some scientists say some people, especially if trauma is baked in, you may need 60 days, Mm. but either Mm. way, change is a coming. If you're willing to apply yourself to the truths of God, change will happen. And I'm telling you, my hubby said to me, as I was really applying myself to going, my God is so good. And I really start to look around at the good things in my life and saw a gift tag to Susie from God I was starting to get convinced of it. And my yeah. husband's like, your eyes look different. You, Your body mm-hmm. looks different. And it was like something was healing inside of me. And so I'm very passionate about this whole idea. So i I found a kindred spirit in this I can yes, tell Molly
0: Yes, that. absolutely. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. And and uh yeah, I've heard uh uh Jamie on your show and actually just funny enough for the listeners, they know uh just a couple of weeks ago I did my my top uh favorite episodes of the last of twenty twenty three and Jamie Winship was number one. So he was wow. yeah, um he's he's phenomenal. And um and yes, and I love what he talks about when he talks about that um the fighting that fear and and you know, God did, did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and sound mind. Um, Susie, oh my gosh, this has been um, such a gift. Thank you for this. Um, for the listeners, obviously, um, everyone, I just i am going to say right now, go get her book, um, Waking Up to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness. Um, this is a message that we need in 2024 and beyond. I mean, it's it's an eternal yeah. message, um, but I just feel like in the conversations I've had with friends and family and, and people in my church is just that this is a message that people need more than ever right now. Um, and so I am so passionate about it. I know you are. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, how can people connect with you? And, and if people want to listen to your radio show, how do they best do that?
1: That's great. Thank you for that, Molly. Well, you know, the show is live on a network and a lot of people, if you're outside our terrestrial network, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com, listen live or get the app and live stream. We've got people live streaming from 170 countries. So amazing. that's an awesome way. But it also goes to podcasts. So if it's not, I'm on three o'clock central standard time every day. If that's not convenient for you, wherever podcasts are played, just type in my name and you'll find a whole lineup of amazing shows. One of that of our listeners' favorite, Jamie's one of them. He comes on every month. But Dr. Troy is on once mm-hmm. a month as well. Yeah. And he's a functional med doc and you'll be blessed blown. blown away by what he has to say. So those might be some good
0: places to start. And um, yeah, thank you for having me. So good. Thank you so much for being here. Honored to meet you, Molly. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Thank you so much for your support. I want to share right now that my book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry How Death, Debt and Comedy led to a life of faith farming and forgetting what I came into this room for releases March 26th, 2024 and you can pre-order it today. You can pre-order it right now wherever books are sold. So Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Target, Walmart, wherever you get your books, you can pre-order it and pre-ordering it is a huge deal. It really, really helps me out. It helps us out, you know, in so many ways. I'm telling you, if there's an author that you love out there and their book is available for pre-order, go do that because it is a huge support to them and it helps... um, um, them in so many ways that you don't you don't even realize so you can go pre-order it wherever books are sold and it'll be right there on your doorstep on March 26th when you're when you're ready to crack it open I can't wait for you to read it I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned will you let us know on social media you can find me I'm at still being Molly or at can I laugh pod on social media, or you can find this podcast, Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder, wherever you get your podcasts. So would you take a moment to leave a rating or a review, which helps us to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. And thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. Now, I hope that something this week makes you laugh to you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye.